Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Wife Life podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, and embraces the spouses behind the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever, whenever, and Defence Bank offers competitive products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Just as a warning, this episode contains some discussion of suicide. So if anything comes up for you or you know of someone in need of mental health support, call Free ADF Veterans and Family Service Open Arms on 1800 011 046 or in an emergency call 000. It was four days before the Christmas and he had been so bad the weeks leading in and one of the the acting boss at 12, 16th at the time, he had come into the coffee shop and he was just kind of like, oh, hey, mate, how you going? Make me a coffee, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was the guy that was blocking Matt in in every kind of corner trying to get help. And that triggered Matt while he was in the coffee shop with Matt. Matt was very professional and very correct. As soon as he left, the staff told me like it was just that kicked Matt over the edge. I was at home. The staff called me to say that he had left and we had, we put in all these, you know, checkpoints and safety mechanisms of people around town that if for whatever reason Matt was having an episode or something, people would alert me and I would put things in place to try and find him and track him down. It was like this ever evolving, trying to work within the boundaries of Matt and we couldn't find him. It had gone on for a few hours and I was starting to panic and I got a phone call and it was Matt. And I had the little kids at home and I answered the call going, babe, you know, where are you? And I couldn't hear him. And I just, I kept asking, Matt, are you there? I need you to talk. I just need you to tell me that you're okay. I just need you to say something. And I sort of started to hear a whimper. And the next thing I just heard, a whisper just say, I can't do this anymore. I'm so sorry. Now, I had no idea what to do at that point. I'm certainly not trained in this field on how to respond to that. I just screamed at him. I looked at the little kids and I just screamed at him and I screamed down the phone and yelled, if you kill yourself, I will raise these children to believe that they weren't enough for you and they will hate you for the rest of their lives. Don't do this to them. That's all I could think to do. And then we both went silent and I just said, please just come home. And he just said, I'm coming home and he hung up the phone. Now, I write about that one in the book. There were three other areas, instances where I thought we were going to lose him. And, you know, suicide in defence is a massive thing. I'm fortunate that I don't think he was at the point of no return, but I think he was too close than anybody ever should be. So, you know, I, I had Pete Goom helping me and I rang him screaming and in tears going, I don't understand. I don't understand how they've let him down to this point. And it wasn't until the findings of the epilepsy and we started to get the right doctor who actually gave a damn and started to work on medication and started to settle things down and Matt could start to get some clarity and trying to start to think outside that, you know, things started to settle down a bit. And unfortunately, 
when you fast forward past that, the medication kind of settles it down to a point where it lulls you into a false sense of security. And you think that you're starting to get that strength back and you're going back to who you were before the accident. And that's the path that Matt goes down. The army at this point is now done. So Pete works with Matt to help him get connections in at DVA. The army talks through and works through with Matt on a medical discharge. So he does have to go through that path and, and down that avenue. And that's another battle within itself. But it will be another four or five years through this journey before we actually get acceptance. But that's a lot on your shoulders. How do you even come back from, you know, you mentioned that there was more than one point where you thought that Matt was going to take his life or at the point of no return. I mean, you still have to live your everyday life. You've still got kids to look after. You're still on high alert at all points like you mentioned putting in the business in place having friends around town that are looking out you know that can totally consume you how were you managing it how were you coping with that with all of that weight on your shoulders I wasn't so I'd cry in the shower I would wait for him to be asleep and I'd go out the backyard and cry on days where daddy was having you know he, he was in the bedroom and he wouldn't come out I'd work with kids and you know you'd have to say don't worry about daddy he'll be okay leave him in the bedroom don't go in there but I also needed to put food on the table and I needed to feed the kids and I needed to make sure the mortgage was paid so I still had to work I had to go back to work through all of this in a full-time capacity too and there is the other element too because mentally he wasn't coping I didn't know where to turn I certainly couldn't have turned to the army and if there was support in amongst the Australian Defence Force I wasn't being told about it you know my only saving grace at that point was ring pete on the if pete said ring me anytime and whether he knew it or not that was my only lifeline because he was defense so he understood what matt was losing he wasn't going to judge matt for going through it and rightly or wrongly i didn't want to let people in our circle in to see the depth of it and and i try and write about this in the book to say i got that wrong i should have trusted that my friends wouldn't judge him long term but i was worried that they would and i didn't want people judging him because he was suffering and this is where the whole misconception of mental health comes from because we worry about those kind of things and I should have been beating my, my chest going, you know what, he's broken and it's not his fault. We need to do better and help him, help me help him. And throwing the doors wide open and said, it's not good enough. Give me more help, help him. And I didn't, I, I tried to just, you know, behind closed doors when the doors were open, look, it's fine, it's fine, it's okay. Don't worry about Matt, he'll be okay. I should have been saying help, worry, absolutely. Get on board with this. Yeah. And all the while, you know, your husband is this person that you don't even recognize. He's a totally different person. And you're trying to juggle still paying the bills, making sure that he's okay and whatever he's going through on a daily basis. And obviously the worry of the unknown, like what each day will hold for you, him, your family. How are you also coming to terms with the fact that he isn't the person that you were married to and that you knew and fell in love with and going forward thinking that this is your future and, you know, you can't leave him because 
he's still your husband, you still love him, but he's not there anymore. But you've got that worry on your shoulders that if you weren't there supporting him and helping him and being his advocate, that would be even worse. So like, how were you getting through that and not knowing whether you'd ever get your husband back? That's probably the clinch right there. The fear that if I left and he killed himself, how do I live with that? And feeling like that would be my fault. The fear of, am I ever going to see the man that I fell in love with again? And on the days where he was so angry and not necessarily abusive of me, but just angry. You couldn't, you couldn't say hello without. And so you've constantly that, you know, I don't want to trigger him. I don't want to set him off. I don't want the kids to see this level of aggression coming from him. And there was no trying to figure out what those trigger points were. You know, if I say this, does it trigger? And, and it would change. There was no pattern. There was no routine. There was no obvious scenarios that, except for army talk about the army and he would absolutely go off so it was hard and there were times where I didn't want to be there I didn't want to stay in my marriage I wanted better for my children and for myself you know there were days where he would come out of the the bedroom and I would have to go down to the coffee shop and organize stuff and the coffee shop was well out of the wheels of my expertise so not only am I dealing with all of that, but I'm also going into a business that I have no interest in, no clue, no understanding, and I'm filling a gap for a husband who won't come out of his bedroom. I literally would sit in the car park of my car and again, I would ring Pete and I would just cry. And poor Pete, bless him, because you know, if I didn't have him at that point to ring, I just wanted to vent. I just wanted to get it all out. I needed to reset. I needed to have a safe space where it was okay to swear and curse and carry on and want to know why this is my life and then reset, you know, like it was my opportunity to take a breath. Without that, I don't know that I would have stayed. I don't know that I wouldn't have broken and not been able to continue. And I'm grateful because I do love him. He is my best friend and we're back, which is amazing. We've gone full circle, which I'm grateful for. Nine out of 10 defense spouses wish they found out about defense banks sooner. Okay, I might've just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning, has cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, and pin change functionality, savings roundups, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Fitbit Pay, Garmin Pay, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. So at what point did it get to the stage? Obviously, you're on high alert and just exhausted from every day just being on all the time. At what point did it get to where you thought, okay, we're going to be okay? What, when did you get that relief or that you know, light at the end of the tunnel that, okay, it might be okay because we've got this in place now or because my husband's come around to accepting this support? That was probably only about two years ago. So once the medication had kicked in and he was had DVA support and DVA financial and medical support, he was medically discharged from the army. So we were done with the Defence Force. But that's Matt's world. That's who he was as a human being now. And so trying to find something where he could feel like he was participating as an active member to his family and he was contributing and all the rest of it, was only going to be in a world where he was good at. 
So he then got it in his head that I'm stabilized now, I'm back to normal, everything's good, I can swap uniforms. And he went and applied for and was successful in private sector. So he ended up going over to Manus Island for 18 months and he would fly in, fly out. So FIFO, two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off. And he was a part of the emergency response team. So if anything blew up or flared up on Manus Island, they were the boys that went into it first. And he was okay for about 18 months. He was kind of getting his groove and I saw the person that I started to know was back and it was great. And then all the wheels fell off. And I guess at that point, brain trauma, anything relative to the brain is an untapped area. Um, so 18 months in, the wheels fell off and everything kind of flared up again and all the anxiety and depression just re-triggered. And there was no solid reason why. It just, I think the bureaucratic and the political kind of management was too much. The work, not so much, but the, the red tape involved in it all got in his head. And he then had to concede that he was never going to work in that capacity again. And he reinitiated contact with DBA and got support and got his program up and running again. And he fought it. He fought for probably another two or three years, which triggers every time they fight against it, it triggers the anxiety and it triggers depressive states. And we had to learn this as we were going through. So there were patches where we were fighting each other so badly just because we didn't understand any of it. So I thought I was fighting this angry man and this angry man didn't realize quite how angry he was or why. And then it was about somewhere between sort of two and three years ago that we really started to work on, hey, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep living like this. And I need you to get into an environment where you understand and you're accepting of your conditions. And you and I need to get on a page where we're working together as a team. Now, that sounds very simplistic in a, you know, in a conversation here with you and me, but that took a lot of time. And it took a lot of effort on both of us. We both had to be willing and prepared to get down to the nitty gritty. And a lot of people don't make it to that stage. They've either split up, separated, and, you know, things have gotten worse and the, and the veteran is hasn't got that support or the backing or someone, you know, pushing them to get the support or the veteran chooses to see it as too hard or that they don't have a future and that they take another path. It's just either way... Like you said, it, it sounds simple to say that, oh, we need to get on the same page. And then all of a sudden it, you were magically on the same page. But there were years and years and years of sticking it out and hard and a lot of pain and suffering before you got to that. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think that's, you know, moving forward, if we can open a platform of conversation that starts between the sufferer and the supporter, then it's worth it for everything that we're putting on the line now, for everything that we're out there. The book that we've produced and, you know, brought to publication is so personal and it goes through all of this. We don't make any money from this book. That's not why we've done it. We've done it because people like us need to know the journey. And if people reading this book, if it allows them to start a conversation that they previously wouldn't have had, then it's done its job.
when did you decide that writing a book and putting everything down on paper would be a good idea? What was your reasoning behind writing the book? How did it come to fruition? Initially, <laughs> so probably two, maybe three years post his accident, I was writing, but I was writing. My first um, iteration of this book was very much, I hate the people that caused this and here's what I'm going to do to you. <laughs> <laughs> So diary entries of a hit list. Yeah, very descriptive too. <laughs> um, that was very cathartic for me because I need, I was really angry. I was really angry that a collective few and then the bigger sort of picture between the Defence Force and DBA made our journey so frigging hard. The accident, like I said, it was an accident, but it was everything else post that that was a nightmare. And so the, the first round of that was very angry. And then I was sitting with Matt a couple of years ago and we were just chatting about different stuff. And I said that we can't be alone. We can't be the only people that are going through this. There must be others. And Matt said, you know, he, he literally just with a, a one-line response just went, babe, why don't you just write a book and get it out there and see? Let's see if we can't help someone. Let's see if we can't let people know that they're not alone. And that was enough for me. I had already written, like I'd already documented, you know, why I hated these people so much that I then went, okay, well, maybe I need to stop being quite so angry and see what the alternative looks like. So I wrote from the perspective that as a country, we need to understand that war isn't going anywhere. There's always going to be bad, greedy people and our shores need to be protected. I don't care if we should have or shouldn't have been in Afghanistan. That's not my call. But the soldiers and the, the military, the defence people that sign up and sign that blank check need and deserve better. And we better prepare them better moving forward because war isn't going away. So if I can start a conversation there, and that's where I started writing the book from, to help civilians understand what a deployment looks like to those left behind and to try and help those that are broken understand that they're not alone and that it's okay to reach out. Please reach out, ask for the help that you so rightly deserve. And I'm grateful that there's a Royal Commission coming. I'm absolutely grateful for it, but it took two and a half years at a minimum. Yes, we need that process and yes, we need that in play um, and hopefully big changes will come from it. And in the interim, collectively, what can we all do from the ground up? And so how do you manage the tricky balance of obviously your husband's at a point where he's stable again and but you are always on alert. You're always going to feel like you, you need to check in with him and you have those extra layers of complexity to, to life, I guess. But how do you balance being, I guess, so public with his story, your story, and um, putting it out there and being a voice for people with all that your husband's going through and not re-triggering things and I guess looking out for him. We talk daily. None of this would have happened unless he was comfortable. And I think we're at a place now that it could only happen now because he has accepted and because he's working so hard to you know, move forward in what is his new normal, if that makes sense. 
So three years ago, we couldn't have done this. Four years ago, we certainly couldn't have done this. And even today, you know, he still has bouts. So Matt is the primary carer of the kids. We homeschool two out of our three that are at home. And Matt does that. Matt, you know, cognitively, he's still very switched on and very smart. He did a master's in 12 months. So he still looks for things to keep his brain active and he's still very much physical. And we've also learned he knows when he's going into a depressive state now. I know what to look for when he's slipping or falling. And we're better skilled at how to get through that period. So we don't fight each other anymore in those periods. Don't get me wrong, we're a normal couple. Like we still have our, our discussions, but we don't fight because he's in a bad headspace anymore because we know what that looks like and we know how to work together as a team through that. And so what does the future hold for your husband, you, your family? Like what are you looking forward to in the future and, and what's ahead for you guys? So right now we're kind of in the thick of it with the book. We're being asked to speak at a number of different functions, which is fabulous because it means, you know, we're really getting the word out there and we're both speaking. So he's actually being a part of that journey with me. So it, this is probably really exciting for us because we, this is something that we can achieve together. We have just initiated, it's called a symposium of hope. So on the central coast, we're gathering all of the services. So uh, legacy, RSL sub-branches, hopefully open arms, a number of different areas, uh, Veterans Association, partner of Veterans Association. And then we're also seeking help from local businesses and then military families. And the symposium in November is bringing those three groups collectively together and saying, okay, as a program of support, what exists on the Central Coast that could help military families, either serving, ex-serving, broken or otherwise. The symposium is collating services that would offer, you know, emergency care for kids or um, we've got one of the financial institutions coming along to see if they can help out and that might be fast-tracking consolidation of debt to a transitioning family or something. So once we identify what all the services are that can be here on the Central Coast to help military families, we're building that into a web page and the web page will just be a central point for someone to go and say, I need help with whatever it is and then whatever's available either on the central coast or at a national level would then come back and display on the website. So that's the one thing I found. I didn't know where to look. I'm sure there is a plethora of help out there. I just don't know where to start. So we're building that central point. If we get it right and it works and the symposium's a success in November and we can build it collectively, then maybe it's a footprint that can be taken across other geographical areas across the country. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Where can people get hold of your book and follow you on your Facebook pages and your Instagram and all that you're doing for the defence community and veterans? So Kaz Page, K-A-Z-P-A-G-E.com.au is our website. So you can order the book from there. You can also follow us on My Broken Soldier page, My Broken Soldier group, on Facebook and there's also a My Broken Soldier on Instagram as well. Kaz, I just want to say thank you to you for all that you're doing within the community and all that you've done for your husband. Like it takes a lot to be able to get through that. And I mean, you'll never be out of the other side. Like you'll you'll always be living alongside what your husband went through and all that sort of is left behind after that. 
but to be going forward in a constructive way and trying to help other people, taking on other people's stories and being a voice for other families and other veterans and getting your husband to a point where, you know, he's able to be part of that with you, which is even more powerful. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for everything you do too. I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 